Please bow with me as we pray. Lord, we ask that you would humble us now to receive your word. Lord, we pray you we ask and we pray that you would strengthen us as we hear your word. Lord, we ask you to fill us with, with joy by the power of your Holy Spirit as we hear your word. Lord, I pray that I would preach faithfully and clearly. Lord, we ask that you would use these words to exalt your son Jesus. We pray you'd point us in this passage to your faithfulness, to your plan, and to what you've already accomplished for your people through Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. And Lord, may you strengthen our hope in him, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I've heard it said that a a person's spiritual maturity is not truly visible until they don't get their way. Well, how do you respond when you don't get your way? With anger? Anxious? Fearful? Striving to try to accomplish your way, to try to secure it, to see that it happens? But what are you willing to do to secure what you want when it doesn't seem like things are going your way? Are you willing to lie to get your way? Are you willing to steal to get what you want? Well, in this section of Genesis, we see Isaac's family. They lie and seek to take and seek to live in deception when they don't get what they want. It's a picture of a lack of faith. It's, a, it's an illustration of unfaithfulness. And one of the things that I love about the book of Genesis and really all of the Bible is we get a real story. We, we get a description, we get a narration of, of history. Genesis is a book of history, and so we certainly see the faith of Isaac, and we see the faith of Rebekah, but we also see their flaws and we see their failures. And imagine if someone was writing a story about your life, Christian. Well, if you're a Christian, they would see your faith in that story, God's saving work in your life. But the reason why we're called to confess sin, the reason why we confess sin corporately as a church so often, is because if we're honest, we see our flaws, we see our, our failures. And here in this family, their flaws, their failures an ugly situation on display in Genesis chapter 27, reminding us that the main character in the book of Genesis is God. He alone is faithful. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 27. We're going to be looking at all of Genesis 27. We'll go into chapter 28, the first nine verses there. If you want to turn in your pew Bible to page 21 in your pew Bible, page 21, that's a great way to stay engaged in the sermons, to have a copy of God's Word open there. And if you don't own a Bible, please take that Bible in the pew home with you. That's our gift to you. We'd love for you to have that to read more about who God is and what He's done in Jesus. Uh, these, there are a lot of long chapters in Genesis. We've been making our way through those. So we're going to make our way through a long chapter today. And with the length of this passage, what I'm going to do today, I'm going to approach it by just reading it through the scenes that we see divided in this story. So I'm not going to read it all at once. I'm going to start off reading in scene one. But before we get into reading, I want to give you what I understand to be in this sermon, at least the main idea of this sermon. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down. The main idea of Genesis 27 that I want us to see this morning is this. Even when we are faithless, God remains faithful to accomplish His plan. 
even when we are faithless. God remains faithful to accomplish His plan. We see God's faithfulness in Genesis chapter 27. Let me read for us, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read the first scene here, first couple scenes actually, but verses 1 through 17. We'll take this as scene 1. Verses 1 through 17. Starting in verse 1. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau his older son and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke this to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man. And I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go, bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother. And his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. Well, in this first scene, what I want you to see, scene one, the description here is this, a foolish decision. What I want you to see in verse 1, verses 1 through 17, scene number 1, a foolish decision. Well, a number of years have passed since the last chapter. Isaac has grown old. He's lost his eyesight. But while he's lost his, his eyesight, he has not lost his taste for delicious food. He still loves that food that Esau can make. And Moses gave us some insight back in chapter 25 that Rebekah loved Jacob. But Isaac loved Esau for really a shallow reason, because he loved his food. He loved the game that he would hunt and bring to him. So even towards the end of his life, Isaac craves that food. As he feels that he's approaching death, he wants a meal. He wants one last meal. And this is a little bit of a, a hint here. Moses gives us hints, the narrator of Genesis, as he takes us through. Think about how many times he says he, he loves this delicious food. I think he's tapping into... Isaac, sadly, has become a man of passions, his passion for food, for the moment, for a tasty meal. It's what he craves, even there as he discerns he's on his deathbed. And so in verse 4, he sends Esau to go hunt some game, some delicious food, saying in verse 4, so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, there's a problem there. 
Isaac plans to bless Esau, not Jacob. This plan, it's, it's rooted in selfish passions. Well, what is this blessing? Well, the blessing, it's connected to, but it's different from the birthright that we saw back in chapter 25. So the birthright and the blessing, two different things. Uh, the older, understandably, typically was the one to receive the birthright, but we understand that Esau despised his birthright back in chapter 25, and Jacob snatched it from him. Well, this blessing, a little bit different, it's, it's more of a prayer. So a blessing, a prayer addressed to God that would shape the future of the one blessed. So a blessing was given at the end of one's life. A blessing could only be given to one son. And when that blessing was given, there was no do-over. It couldn't be undone. And say, oh, wait a minute, I made a mistake here. I've got to give it to this other son. Now this blessing, it's particularly important here because it would establish the heir to the promises given to Abraham and then to Isaac. Who would be blessed next? Well, there was an oracle or prophecy in chapter 25 where God had already sovereignly decreed, according to his choice and election, that Jacob would be the one blessed, that the older, Esau, would serve the younger, Jacob. That was God's plan. It was his choice. It certainly wasn't because Jacob uh, deserved it more than Esau. It was all by God's grace, all by his mercy. Now, typically, a father would gather all of his sons together for blessing at the end of his life. So we see that, that actually that happens later on with Jacob before he dies. Jacob later on before he dies gathers together all of his sons and he blesses one of them. But here, Isaac only calls in Esau, one son. It seems like he's more interested in a bowl of stew than the blessing itself. Uh, again, this blessing was to go to Jacob, yet we see Isaac ready to confirm Esau as the family heir. It helps us see the greatest loss for Isaac was not his eyesight, but his loss of direction according to God's Word for his family. We see passivity in his story. He wasn't leading his family in light of the promise. He wasn't leading his family even the way that we saw Abraham lead Isaac. Abraham was sure at the end of his life to make sure that Isaac would take a wife, not from the land of Canaan, from a people of idolatry, but Abraham was sure to lead the way for his family, sending his servant back to his homeland to find a wife for Isaac. But Isaac doesn't show that type of leadership for his family. He wasn't living in light of God's word. He wasn't living in light of God's will. In this scene, Isaac is living for his own will. He loves Esau. He loves Esau's food, and he's ready to bless Esau, even though Esau is clearly unworthy of this blessing. Now, Isaac wasn't giving this blessing to Esau because Esau demonstrated faith in God or godly character. Again, he's more concerned with the moment and a delicious meal than he's concerned with the will of God. You know, look back in chapter 26 and verses 34 through 35. I mentioned Last week, we'd look at those verses. They, they go more with what's happening here in chapter 27. They're kind of tacked on the end there in our Bibles at the end of 26, but I think it really connects to help us understand what's happening in chapter 27. There in verses 34 and 35 of chapter 26, we see that Esau, he didn't just take a Hittite wife. He took two Hittite wives. Polygamy clearly against God's word. We'll get to that in just a, a moment, but clearly against God's ideal established for marriage in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, that marriage is to be one man and one woman in a permanent union so long as they both live. We see here, though, that Esau takes two Hittite 
wives. They made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. So again, we don't see polygamy. We see it described in Scripture. It's never condoned. It's never commended. And every time we see it described, it brings about a mess. It does not bring about joy and life. It doesn't please God, and it brings no life to those who engage in immoral conduct. Esau, he didn't look for a wife wife, from among the land of his relatives like his father did. He did not embrace God's promise of blessing on his family and descendants that would come from Abraham. He didn't really care. We saw that when he despised his birthright. He viewed it as something that really wasn't worth a whole lot. He showed a disregard for the covenant blessings that God gave to his father Abraham. And this intermarrying with Hittite wives there in the land, it was a compromise to God's plan. And again, how much did Isaac seem to care about this in his old age? Had Isaac taken the lead in helping find Esau a wife? Well, no, it seems like he's passive as Esau takes two Hittite wives. So in contrast with Abraham, this scene shows us unfaithfulness. First and foremost, we see unfaithfulness from Isaac. Furthermore, Esau showed his unworthiness when he sold his birthright for a cup of stew. He despised his birthright. And while Esau sold his birthright for a cup of stew, Isaac similarly seems ready to sell this blessing for a meal. Most clearly, again, back in chapter 25, verse 23, God had already said that the older shall serve the younger. It's safe to suggest, though we see that was a response to Rebecca praying in her inquiry, it's safe to say that Jacob, excuse me, that Isaac heard that oracle, that prophecy from God as well. And here we see he wasn't living in light of God's Word. Well, brother and sister in the Lord, I I wonder what causes you to lose your sense of direction from God's Word. We see that even Isaac was prone to this. This was a man of faith. This was a man that we see earlier on in Genesis praying to God, bringing burdens before the Lord with his wife's barrenness, seeing God answer his prayers. Uh, We see, I mean, think about Isaac and the moment he experienced when his father Abraham laid him on the altar and God safely delivered him. But yet as time went on, as he got older, we see a sense of apathy and passivity here in his life. Well, I wonder if Isaac was prone to this, certainly, Christian, you and I are, I wonder what tempts you to lose a sense of direction from God's Word. Maybe it's just as time goes by, it's apathy. Maybe you're even feeling this morning like, great, another Sunday morning. It was raining this morning. I maybe thought about not coming. I'm so glad you did if you were tempted to not come. I know Baptists don't like sprinkles, don't like to come out in the rain, but you came. Maybe you think and you wonder like, how is God going to use this service in my life? Maybe you're coming and you're feeling pain. Maybe there's difficulties in your life and you feel numb this morning. Life is hard. We understand we'll suffer in this life, but sometimes that that suffering, we can experience a a bit of numbness even to the Lord, even in times of worship with our brothers and sisters. Sometimes we lose direction from God's Word because we're just busy. There's so many other things we're giving ourselves to. We're, We're busy about our work and not really concerned with the work of the Lord. Maybe it's worldly passions. I mean, we see here that, that Isaac was concerned with a meal. Maybe it's a nice night out of the town. Maybe it's a vacation. Maybe it's those types of things that aren't necessarily bad or immoral in and of themselves, but maybe they're escapes for us from the hardships of life that we look to for comfort instead of God Himself. 
You know, I've heard it said that sometimes the greatest enemy to our appetite for God is not poison, but apple pie. There's things that seem good and okay and sweet, like apple pie for mom. It's a good thing. How can that be harmful? Well, brother and sister, ask the Lord to guard your mind and heart, that you would be sober-minded in this world and, and ready to do His will. Pray for the gift of perseverance to be strengthened. I'm thankful for so many witnesses we have in our church of people who have been walking for decades with the Lord. We are thankful for you. We're thankful for your witness. We would ask you to be an encouragement to those who are new in the faith. We've had so many baptisms in this church, and I would ask you, if you are more mature in your faith, to consider how could you come alongside and help some of these younger believers in our church to grow in their faith. There's things you've experienced. There's challenges in your walk with God. There's suffering that you've experienced that they will face. And you could pass on wisdom, encourage, encouraging testimonies from the Lord on how they could persevere as well. Isn't that the ministry of the local church? Well, back to our story here. While Rebecca, she overhears all of this and she intervenes, but her actions are not much better. She comes up with a foolish plan of deception. So she will get the blessing for her son Jacob, the one she loves, by deceiving Isaac and making him think that Jacob is Esau. Again, back in chapter 25, she had inquired of the Lord. She heard with her own ears, the Lord say that the older shall serve the younger. So in this moment, she probably quickly detected this isn't right. Isaac's about to do something wrong against the word of God and against the will of God. But then how she chooses to act in the moment is a complete disaster. You see, God had already issued a sovereign decree on this. No one can stop God's plans. What he has decreed will come to pass. God never has needed a plan B. You and I need plan Bs and Cs and Ds, and sometimes we just run out of letters of the alphabet because our plans don't get accomplished. Think about that. God's never needed a plan B. His plan always comes to pass. He's not like us in that way. He's never needed counsel. He's never needed help. He's never needed human effort to accomplish His plans. He uses, graciously uses us as human beings in His image to accomplish His will. He graciously uses our prayers. He graciously uses our feeble efforts and our work. He graciously uses our evangelistic efforts and our discipling efforts and even the efforts of men to preach His Word. He graciously uses those efforts, but He's not in need of us. God is in control. And yet Rebecca forgets this and sets out to secure a future for herself. She commands Jacob, go get two goats. So interestingly enough, I don't think that was Esau, well, Esau was going to hunt. She just thinks, well, he's older in age. He won't know the difference between some goats and some venison meat. We'll just throw some meat in there. Uh, we will beat Esau to the blessing, so to speak. And Jacob's main hesitation in verse 12 doesn't seem to be a moral one. He just doesn't want to get caught. He doesn't want the consequences there, right? He, he, he's afraid, hey, my smooth skin is going to give me away. I don't smell like my brother. I'm not hairy like my brother. I'm going to get caught, mom. What should I do here? And she assures him not to listen to the word of God, but listen to her words. Just listen to my voice. Do what I say. Jacob has an opportunity here to obey Rebecca's word or to obey God's word. Notice in verse 8, Rebecca begins her plan with, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Again, down in verse 13, obey my voice. So when faced with the decision, Jacob goes along with it, and he obeys Rebekah's voice. 
of the deceptive plan that moves forward. He, he wore Esau's clothes. He had goatskins on his hands and neck so that he would feel like Esau. And mom put some delicious food in his hand and sent him, packed him on his way like a little schoolboy, going off to do a deceptive plan. What's important when you read through these stories that you understand that Moses, the narrator of Genesis, he's not condoning what happened here. He's not even providing moral commentary on what was happening here. He's telling and describing what actually happened. It's recording a historical moment. So, so Rebecca deceives. That's not right. It's not being commended. Jacob lies to his father. That's clearly against God's law, the ninth commandment. Esau is a polygamist against what we see in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. So the content is simply being recorded here in Genesis. It isn't suggesting these actions are acceptable. Rather, it's describing and telling what, what happened. Now, with that said, what we see before this scene and after this scene, we can see what is wrong here. We can see lying. And if the, the scene with someone with goat skin on them doesn't give it away, that's really odd. Like, I don't know what will. We see this isn't being commended as something right. Rebecca, she chose deception. There were other options available to her. Isaac needed to be stopped, to be sure. But Rebecca was completely wrong with how she went about this. Think about what else she could have done. She could have prayed. We see her praying before. She could have prayed to the Lord and asked God to stop him or ask God for wisdom and words that she could give to him as his wife. She could have pleaded with Isaac to remember the word of God and instead she came up with a plan of deception and led her son in that way. Well, brother and sister, I wonder, how often do you overlook God's promise and feel like you have to secure your future on your own? How often do you overlook God's promise and look at the future and feel like you've got to secure a particular future for yourself? That God's promised you joy, that the very presence of His Holy Spirit in our life the fruit of His Spirit is joy. But there's other things that you may think, I've got to secure joy for myself in this way in the future, whether that's through money and a financial career or accomplishment, whether that's through the promise of a, a relationship, a dating relationship or a marriage. I wonder how often in fear you try to secure things on your own. Again, God may choose to use us, but God does not ultimately need us to accomplish His future plans. Furthermore, we have these precious promises. We've been thinking about this in Genesis of just taking a promise in the Bible and praying it for our own soul and for the souls of those around us. Matthew chapter 28 verse 20, we've asked the question, how would it make a difference in our lives today, tomorrow, if we believed this promise that Jesus said, I am with you always. If we believe that Jesus is with us now, tomorrow, in this life and in the next, how would that make a difference in the way that we make decisions and the, the way we think about the future? You see, Jesus has promised to be with us, yet rather than turn to Him for comfort, how often do we find ourselves, like Isaac, turning to food and drink? Rather than turning to Jesus for comfort, how often do we look for the first escape out of reality? Whether that's to our phone whether that's escaping to the busyness of work, to get our minds off of whatever it is that we're anxious or fearful about, rather than pursuing solitude with the Lord, how often in the name of busyness and things we have to do at work do we just run away from our problems and try to find an escape? You see, true comfort is found in resting in who God is 
and what He does. True comfort is found in resting in God's faithfulness to His promise. And brother and sister in Christ, every day we have opportunities to either believe the promises of God or believe lies. To live for Him and His sure plan or to lean into our own plans for our own life. Well, Christian, remind yourself what God has promised you. Again, an application I want to pick up from a few weeks ago to make sure we don't forget this. Take a promise like Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, where Jesus has promised that He is always with His people. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, that promise is sure and it belongs to you this morning. And if you've not put your faith in Jesus Christ, that promise doesn't belong to you. It can be yours today. If you turn and trust in Jesus, He'll be with you now. He'll forgive your sins. He'll bring you to the God who, re- who created you to reconcile you to Him. He'll forgive your sins and get them out of the way. But if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, that promise is yours. Pray and be reminded, Lord, remind me that you are with me. Bring me comfort that I cannot find in this world that can only be found in your presence. Well, in verses 18 through 40, we see a second scene, scene number two, a faithless solution. Scene number two, a faithless solution. Jacob approached his father in what had to look like a Halloween costume. I mean, again, this scene just tells us this is weird. This is wrong. He has goat skin on him. There's nothing normal about that, not even in that time. If you walked around with goat skin on you, that would seem weird, right? He goes on to lie to his father. That also tells us very plainly, this is not right. This does not honor or please God. Let's continue on verses 18 through 40 to read scene two. So he went in to his father and said, my father. And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize them because his hands were hairy like his brother's Esau's hands. So he blessed them. He said, are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, see, the the smell of my son is the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? He answered, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, 
who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Well, the deception is clear here. Three times we see Jacob lie. First in verse 19, he lies. In response to Isaac wondering how he found the food so quickly, he lies a a second time in, in verse 20, because the Lord your God granted me success. So he takes a lie and combines it with taking the Lord's name in vain and puts that together. So again, lying clearly violates the ninth commandment given in Exodus chapter 20 of bearing false witness. But in this statement, he makes a combo of the ninth commandment and the third commandment of no taking the Lord's name in vain. And then we see a third lie in verse 24 when Isaac asks, are you really my son Esau? Like a final chance and opportunity to come clean. And he simply answers, I am. Now again, while Moses doesn't offer commentary here, he's merely describing what happened it's clear that Jacob's actions are not being condoned. He, he clearly violates the law of God. The original audience there in Israel hearing this quickly would have thought about God's commandments, even those Ten Commandments that God gave. To lie and to take the name of the Lord in vain is sinful. It's wrong. You know, a character that kind of seemed to disappear in this book back in Genesis chapter 3 is Satan. The serpent got cursed and kind of slithered off. While he exited there in Genesis 3, his work was only beginning. Jesus said that the work of the devil is to rob, to kill, and destroy. Lying is the devil's language. Deception is his path and his plan. And here we see the seed of the woman, God's people. We see Rebekah. We see Jacob living like the world, living like the devil. To lie is to talk like the devil. To deceive is to act like him. This clearly wasn't a step of faith for either one of them. Well, after eating the delicious meal and drinking some wine there in verse 26, one last time of drawing near as Isaac wanted, who he thought was Esau, to come near and kiss him. And the final smell of deception, Esau's smelly garments, sealed the deal for Jacob, and Isaac blessed him. And there's two main highlights in the blessing there in verses 28 and 29. The two main highlights are prosperity 
and dominion. So he's blessing him that his future would be prosperous and that he would have dominion in his future. There, verse 28, that's a blessing of prosperity. So dew is a metaphor for God providing in abundance. The dew would give crops the moisture that they would need to be sustained and to grow. Dew watered the ground and brought forth crops. And so Isaac is asking God to bless him with prosperity in the ground. I think that blessing looks forward to prosperity in the promised land that God promised to Abraham and his descendants. Verse 29, it's a blessing of dominion. So let peoples serve you, nations bow down to you, be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. That's of dominion. That sounds a lot like the oracle back in chapter 25. Again, the older shall serve the younger. So the blessing is that he would become a conquering nation. But on an even grander scale, when he prays that nations, all nations, would serve him and his descendants, he's praying for a type of sovereignty to rule over the nations. And finally, the familiar promise of divine protection came at the end of verse 29. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Basically, I'm with you. The blessing is the presence of of God, the same blessing Abraham received back in chapter 12, verse 3. Now, keep in mind this whole time, Isaac thinks he's giving the blessing to Esau. None of that blessing lined up with God's word or God's will for Esau. God had pronounced these very blessings to Jacob, that the older shall serve the younger. Again, Isaac's actions clearly oppose the word of God. Now, Jacob's deception, it works Just in time, he gets the blessing, he's out, he gets on his way just as Esau is coming back from hunting. And we see in verse 31 that Esau comes with the delicious food that Isaac so craved and requested and wanted. And imagine Isaac's surprise as he hears a second time there in verse 32, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. His response in verse 33 is to tremble very violently. That was a trembling of fear. He was alarmed, caught off guard in the moment. He realized what just happened, but he realized also he can't take that blessing back. Nothing can be done to change this. In fact, this is how he's brought to submit to God's plan. Because he replies there, yes, and he shall be blessed. He did submit to God's plan. Nothing can stop his plan. It's not the way that you want to submit to God's plan. You want to submit to God's plan willingly delighting in God's plan and His Word. But here we see Isaac humbled, God's plan being accomplished. Esau's reaction in verse 34, he screamed. He cried out a a scream. It was a bitter cry, but it was too late because Jacob, while he grabbed his heel at birth and later snatched his birthright, once again here, Jacob has grabbed his blessing and it cannot be undone. Esau kind of desperately, he's he's striving for another blessing. Like, Dad, do you you have one more? You got one more left in it. He can shoot my way. I I need to be blessed. I need some sort of blessing. And what's pronounced over Esau in verses 39 through 40, if you read it, that's not a blessing. It sounds more like a curse. In fact, it's often referred to as an anti-blessing. Jacob was blessed with the fatness of the earth. But look at verse 39. Esau's future was away from this blessing away from the fatness of the earth, away from the dew of heaven on high. Esau's descendants would end up settling in a very dry region south of the Dead Sea, away from a fertile land that would produce abundant crops, away from blessing, away from 
Jacob. Furthermore, in verse 40, we see that Esau's descendants would be marked by violence. They would live by the sword. Later on in the Old Testament, you see Esau's descendants became known as the Edomites. They would be in ongoing conflict with Jacob's descendants, the nation of Israel. And just like God said would happen, Esau would serve his brother. Again, this hammers home. Nothing can stop the plans of God. Not even the failures of God's people can stop the plans of God. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, we must trust God and not ourselves to accomplish His will. I wonder how often are you tempted to think that your plan is better than God's? How often are you tempted when prayers go unanswered to think, my life would be so much better if God would just answer my prayer in this way and this timing? How often do we think our, our plans are, are better? Rather than waiting on the Lord to provide someone to date who is godly, marriage is a good desire, but rather than waiting for the Lord to supply someone who is godly in fear, you may date an unbeliever. Put yourself in a foolish situation, telling yourself all the time, well, I can change this person. I can make them right. I'm thankful for the testimonies where God used that, but that does not commend that as a path you should take towards marriage. How often do you look at the future and try to secure your own plan because you're tempted to think this would just be a better life rather than having to wait on God's plan and trust His plan? Brother and sister, how often do you confuse the will of God as being something you must secure versus something you receive? See, the will of God is something we receive. We don't secure it by human effort. We receive God's will and His plan. There is freedom in knowing that we don't have to secure the will of God. We need to live in light of God's will. We need to be careful to obey His will. But as it comes to God's future plans, we receive His will. The future is secret. It's hidden. It's sovereign. We can't possibly know what tomorrow holds. We can't possibly know what this week holds for us. God does. And we submit to Him and receive whatever it is the Lord has for us. That's called walking by faith, trusting His goodness and his wisdom, and his control. When reading the story of Jacob, it may seem odd at first that God used Jacob's act of deception to accomplish his will. I'm like, all right, we get this, this is wrong, but God, you actually used this deceptive act to accomplish your will. Well, how do you reconcile that in your, your mind against not condoning the sin of God's people? I think it's saying God's sovereign over everything. He's sovereign over our faithfulness, where even the, the good things in our lives, we give praise to God, we give credit to Him for any spiritual fruit or obedience in our lives. And He's sovereign over our sin and unfaithfulness. We never put God in a situation where His hands are tied, and He's got to figure out, what do I do now? Because you just sinned and didn't obey me. How will I now shape the future? Well, we see this really throughout the pages of the Bible. We see it in the New Testament, another occasion where human deception moved God's plan forward in the Gospel of, of Matthew. Think about when Jesus was betrayed by one of his disciples, Judas. At the Last Supper in Matthew chapter 26, verse 64, Jesus predicted this betrayal. He was not caught off guard by this betrayal. He said in verse 24 of Matthew 26, the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. In an act of deception, Judas kissed Jesus 
on the cheek. That wasn't a kiss of greeting. It was not a kiss of affection. It was a kiss of betrayal. It was the most evil kiss to ever be given. And yet God was at work the whole time. In his worst moment, Judas was actually doing the sweet bidding of the Lord. In that evil moment of betrayal, God was at work. While Judas was guilty, certainly, of betraying Jesus, God used that act to deliver Jesus up to suffer, to die on the cross, and to pay for the sins of anyone who would turn and trust in Him. God used that deceptive act of betrayal to accomplish His plan of redemption that He promised all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. We see that God is in control. He works all things according to His plan. Even the betrayal of one of Jesus' disciples, it couldn't stop the work of Jesus in coming to do what He came to do. He came to suffer, to die, to offer forgiveness to anyone who would put their faith in Him. He came to get up from the dead three days later. He predicted this a number of times and told His disciples to look for His resurrection, that death would not hold Him, that the finished work of redemption would be accomplished through His death and His resurrection. And it's only through Jesus and His death and resurrection from the dead that you and I can know the greatest blessing you can receive, that the promise of Abraham would actually come through Jesus Christ, a descendant of Abraham, fully God and fully man, the blessing of knowing God, the blessing of being counted as one of God's family, adopted into His family, forgiven of your sins. That's only found in Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you've not yet put your faith in Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you and challenge you to change the way you think about blessing. You may think about blessing as mainly being material. A good job, a big house, a nice car. That's really a very American way of viewing blessing anyways, right? To get these nice, good things and health. Thing is, all those things you may get and they will go away one day. Your health will go away. Someone else will live in your house maybe sooner than you think. There'll probably be 50 people lined up like they are right now fighting for real estate in Charlotte. They'll own your stuff. It'll end up in goodwill. It'll go to your descendants, and they'll end up losing it or breaking it or giving it to someone else. It'll all be gone. It's the message of Ecclesiastes when we studied that book. We thank God for His daily gifts, but we do not build our life on those gifts. The blessing you need to look for is a spiritual blessing, the spiritual blessing of knowing God, the spiritual blessing of having your sins forgiven, the spiritual blessing of being reconciled into a right relationship with the creator of the universe. And the only way to know that blessing is through faith in Jesus Christ. There is salvation and blessing found in no other name under heaven. You're not just going to die and be blessed with that spiritual blessing to be ushered into the presence of God forever. You have to know God in this life. You have to trust in Jesus Christ in this life. And it's not too late to do that. You can do it today. Come talk to one of us. I'll be here at this door. Some of our other staff will be at the other doors on the way out. Talk to a member who brought you. We would love to talk to you about how this spiritual blessing of knowing God through faith in Jesus Christ can be yours today and forevermore. Well, a third scene we see in chapter 27, verses 41 through 45. There's just a few verses here, so we'll make our way quickly through this part. A furious response. A furious response in verses 41 through 45. Let me read for us. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. 
But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Aesop's furious response, hatred. Verse 41, he hated Jacob because of the blessing. He states, you know, after dad dies, after he's gone, I'm getting you back. I'm coming for you. Sounds a lot like Cain. Cain, rather than protecting his brother, went to murder him out of vengeance. And we see this here, this seed of the serpent living on in Esau. Again, Esau's character is described throughout these last few chapters. He despised his birthright. He took two Hittite wives, and here he threatens murder. He clearly was not worthy of God's blessing. Now, think about this. Rebecca and Jacob got what they wanted. Their plan worked. Here's the danger of living for your own plans. You just might get what you want. You just might get what you work for, and it will bring no joy. It will only bring grief and pain. How better it is to wait on God and His plan. How sweet it is to trust the Lord and to wait for Him to work. You see, their plan worked, yet because of their sin and deception, it came with great pain. Did Rebecca win? No, she lost. She loses Jacob, sends him away to her brother Laban. She'll never see her son again. Also, in a sense, she lost Esau that day. She lost her other son to a sense of anger and fury and rage. She lived in pain and fear of her one son seeking to murder her other son. Talk about a mother's worst nightmare. She didn't gain. She didn't win. Securing a future for herself, it worked in the short term. Short-term gain, long-term loss. Notice in verse 45, Rebecca also blames the situation on Jacob. She wants to send him away until he forgets what you've done to him. Quite a memory, right? She did almost everything. She put goat skin on the guy. She made the food. She packed him and sent him on his way. She came up with the whole plan. But now it's, here's what you've done. You better get out of here. Almost like she forgot what she did. Well, did the end justify the means? No. Jacob got the blessing, and it came at great cost. Brothers and sisters, may this be a reminder. You will never profit from sin. You'll never gain from sin. Sin promises gain, to be sure. Sin promises joy. Sin promises life. And again, sin has a perfect track record of never delivering that, of delivering the opposite. Never in the history of humanity, think about this, be reminded of it, never in the history of humanity has sin brought joy and life. All sin brings is death. Temporary pleasure at best, temporary gratification at best, followed by pain and destruction. We see here this furious response. It was a response to living outside of the plan of God. But we see there's hope. Even in this failure, there's hope. Not found in these characters, not found in Isaac or Rebekah or Jacob, certainly not in Esau but hope found in God. The end of this chapter, heading into verse 28, we see a fourth and final scene, verses 46 through chapter 28, verse 9. 
The fourth scene, a demonstration of God's faithfulness. Let me read for us this last part of the passage. Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padanaram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padanaram to Laban, to the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padanaram to take a wife from there. And that as he blessed him, he directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Padanaram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wives he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Neboath. How is Rebekah going to get Isaac to see, agree to send Jacob away? Well, she just taps into his his displeasure. Think about the bitterness these women have brought us. Let's, let's send him away. And this persuades Isaac to send him away. In chapter 28, verse 1, Isaac calls for Jacob and commands him, kind of like his father Abraham did for him. Here's what you are to do. And he sends him away to go and pursue a wife from among the descendants of Abraham. And look at the blessing he gives to Jacob in verses 3 and 4. This time, Isaac's aware of who he's given the blessing to. He knows he's given the blessing to Jacob this time. And this actually shows, again, a submission to God's Word. In the end, by God's grace, Isaac gets it right. He cries out to the God who is sufficient, God Almighty, the God who is able. This same title given back in chapter 17 that God revealed Himself to Abraham as. And He gives them this combination of a blessing in verse 3 that sounds a lot like Genesis 1, 28, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So a blessing of Adam and a blessing in verse 4 of, of Abraham, of offspring and descendants. The promises of God that were with God's people are now with Isaac. The story of Genesis traces through Jacob. The story of Esau's descendants continues to get dark. We see him there at the end, verse 8. In an effort to try to please his father, poor Esau just couldn't get it right. He didn't understand what faithfulness looked like. And he goes and takes a daughter from Ishmael, a cursed lineage. He will serve his younger brother. Their conflict will continue on through their descendants. And while it's clear that this story, this, story, this deception and lying, all this is wrong, I want you to understand the purpose of this story isn't merely to teach biblical ethics. You can get ethical lessons and principles from here that confirm other parts of God's Word that instruct directly on those matters. The purpose of this story, though, and the reason why I think we don't find moral commentary here from Moses, the purpose of the story is to show how God accomplished His plan, to show that God's plan is accomplished all by His grace. Who came out of the story looking good? Isaac? Rebecca? Jacob? Could they look back, the people of Israel and Jacob, and say, man, that guy was awesome. Look at, look at what he secured for himself. Esau, who came out looking good? Well, again, the only one who came out looking good, God. He's the only one who's faithful. 
He's the main character of the Bible, the main character of the story of Genesis. The only one found faithful in this scene is God. He is the hero of the Bible. He alone is faithful. In this story, God is exalted. His grace magnified in this story. Nothing can stop his plans, not even the failure and folly of his people. And as the Old Testament people of God heard this story from Moses, it would humble them to remember God will see to it that all of his plans will come to pass. God never needs a plan B. And may the people of God in Christ remember that this morning. Remember what I said last month about a new year? A lot of times we wait for our circumstances to change. Remember how thankful we were when 2020 came to an end? And then came 2021 with its own challenges, its own trials, its own problems. Well, brothers and sisters, we are just two months into 2022. And we've seen our own problems. And even this weekend, I think we felt that probably, that unsettled feeling, maybe even in a a new way. We prayed for members of this church going through trials this morning, experiencing times of sorrow and sadness, unsettling images of war and terror fill the news networks. And just like Jesus told us, we are hearing of wars and rumors of wars. Yet Jesus cautioned us, see to it that you are not alarmed. His plan is unfolding. Jesus is coming back. That's the plan. It will happen at the ordained time. Nothing can stop His plan. Brother and sister, let's see to it that we are not alarmed that we don't grow fearful or discouraged with the sadness or the suffering we may know right now. Let us look to what God has already done in Jesus Christ and how much more is yet to come when Jesus returns. And may we be encouraged by the hope that we've been given in Jesus. God is good. God is in control. His plans will never fail. He alone is faithful and nothing will stop Him from accomplishing his plans. We place our hope for tomorrow, not in difficulties being gone, but we hope in God and in His mercy. Charles Spurgeon put it like this. I'll leave you with this quote. Purposes, plans, and achievements of men may all disappear like the cloud upon the mountain's summit. But like the mountain itself, the things which are of God shall stand fast forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, we pray for strength and courage that would come from your word. Lord, we recognize, just like Isaac, how quick we are to forget your word, how quick we are to not live in light of your will and your plan. And so we ask for your mercy. We ask for your help. God, we ask that you would accomplish your good plans and purposes in us. And Lord, we ask you to grow us in obedience and worship and service to you. May we leave here today feeling more acutely our need for you. And when we leave here today delighting in your faithfulness, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.